Tonight on the Big Footy Podcast, we talk all things Sydney with SM and Bonza Burgers. Prosecutor updates us on the Essendon situation, and we take an in-depth look at the success of first draft picks. All this and more, coming right up. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 11th episode of the Big Footy Mainboard Podcast. We're going to be talking a lot of things tonight, but first up, uh, I'm going to introduce our handsome and irregular cast. Uh, joining us, as always, is Messenger. Hello. And the old Dark Navies. Hello, everybody. Uh, prosecutor's back with us. Hello, all, and I'm awake this time. Looking forward to it. It's <laughs> the first time in three weeks. And uh, SM is here from the Sydney board. Hello, everyone. And Bonza Burgers joins us as well. Hi, guys. And so we'll be discussing uh, uh, Sydney in a moment. But first up, uh, what were your highlights from the weekend, guys? What were your memorable moments, your highlights, your lowlights? And uh, perhaps we'll start with the new guys tonight. So, uh, SM, how did you go on the weekend? Yeah, not too bad. Um, I thought Friday night was a pretty uh, pretty good game from the Pies. Um, I thought... Crows got a little bit closer than I thought it would be, but Pies pulled away in the end, uh, which was good to see. Um, definitely highlight of the week has to obviously be the uh, the Swans' absolute demolition of GWS on uh, Sunday, though. That's a highlight, not an expectation? Oh, uh, well, I mean, 130 <coughs> points in the end has to definitely be a highlight, um, given the way we've played them in the past. Only winning by 30 points earlier in the year um, is a good result. Excellent. And Bonzelbergers, what was your highlight from the weekend, Mark? Besides the Swans demolition of GWS, as SM was saying, I reckon actually I was pretty impressed with the fight that St Kilda were giving to Carlton early in the match. Nah, I'm joking around. I'll do it. Derby in Su- at Subiaco. Okay, and Messenger, what was your highlight from the weekend, Mark? Well, I had a highlight and a low light, Wookie. It was The highlight was certainly... Brisbane's come-from-behind win over the, uh, the somewhat fragile North Melbourne team. And it's a shame that door of promotion isn't here tonight. It was a great effort from, from uh, Crazy Vossi and the Lions. But I also had a low light. And I, I watched the Hawthorne-Port Adelaide game on, on Saturday afternoon, Wookie. And I've got to say, as much as it gave me joy to watch my boys win, I had to listen to the Channel 7 commentary team. And I tell you what, I've endured many things in my life, but this was just, this was a bridge too far. It's having, that, that B team that they have on Saturday afternoon is a disgrace. Romping wins, Basil Zemplis, a.k.a. Dennis Cometti Light, uh, the, the, the impossibly smug Tom Harley. I, I don't know how he gets off being so smug. And the man who's running equal last in new football talent joining Boundary Rider Club, uh, Vitamins McVeigh. It was awful, <laughs> awful. And the high and the nader, the nader of this call was a thirty, maybe forty second section in which they compared the spacing on the number ones of the two number elevens for the uh, clubs, John Butcher <laughs> and Brendan Whitecross, and remarked how tightly packed Brendan and Whitecross's ones were and whether that was normal and whether that was the right thing to do for jumpers. That was then followed 
by a very heated debate about a holding the ball decision in which they decided Ben Stratton had indeed held the ball and that had a, should have had a free kick paid against him, all the time ignoring the fact that Ben Con- Stratton was actually unconscious <laughs> when he was in that pack. It, it's the mind boggles. The mind boggles. How about this? This is what we're going to do, Channel 7. On Monday morning, I want you to get the phone book out and under D, I want you to look for Mr. Donegan. Mr. Peter Donegan, he calls the ABC. Hire him. Hire him because he is better than any idiot you've got running around in your commentary team right now. Absolute disgrace, Channel 7. Lift your game. I know the Channel 7 producers love this podcast and they listen, but I tell you what, you have to get your act together, Channel 7. It's a disgrace. And uh, thank, thanks, Messenger, <laughs> for the oh, extended boy. edition of his uh, highlights and lowlights. I had to get that off my chest, Wookie. It's just no, not right. No, no. It is just not right. No, and uh, I think we all uh, agree with Channel 7's coverage is somewhat less than desirable at the moment. ODN, what was your highlights, lowlights from the weekend? Oh, the Blues returning to the winner's list. Oh, finally. Um, specifically the form of uh, Lockie Henderson up forward. Kids really come of age, um, but it uh, creates a bit of a dilemma as we we need two of them. We need one um, one down back and one up up forward. So uh, I just want to th- say thanks to uh, thanks to Vossi for that trade, though. Just uh, messengers reminded me of a good point. The Channel Seven commentary this time it was uh, BT Darcy and Richo. Oh, the way they barrack and 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 the campaign Darcy and Richo with the booing this time it was the booing against Milne last time it was uh, the booing against Watson and and I don't like it. They started their own anti-booing committee. Well, guess guess what, Darcy and Richo, boo, boo to you too. And just before, just just one more thing uh, I had to ask is the Swans guys are on tonight. Is it true that you got paid ten percent more than the rest of us to come on this podcast? Oh, uh, can't confirm or deny that. That that will just have to stay a rumor for now. By the AFL too. You, you know, you do have somebody that you could use. How about Matthew Watson? You could use him in the in the back line, couldn't you? He's not as good as Hendo, um, and uh, he's, he's he's still got a little bit of development, and he he, he does have some mobility problems. Um, Is it true he has a very big head? <laughs> um, that that is true. I can confirm that. Um, wow. Yeah, it's uh, some Essendon genes in him there. He's, um, oh, right. Nephew, nephew of Steve Alessio. Yeah. I thought you were about to say he's been taking something to make his head big. Very <laughs> <laughs> Bond style. I think we're digressing a little bit here. Uh, the prosecutor, Sorry. what was your highlight from the weekend, mate? Oh, highlight. Um... I'm going to go quite the opposite of Messenger, and I'm going to say North Melbourne's loss was the highlight of my weekend. Uh, you know, there's something... Uh, the highlight um, of it is just the fact that no matter, you know, of all the things that have happened, Essendon supporters, you know, pain this year is North Melbourne's highlight of the year. And I think that that says it's a beautiful year, so that's my highlight. Uh, my low light of the week goes to... Oh, I don't even know. Um, I'll go. I'll join the uh, bandwagon. Say the Channel Seven commentary. Um, it's just. I don't even know what you can say about it. It's a joke All these days. In this section. Wait, what? 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 No, ignore that. <laughs> Thanks, what? BT. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's. <laughs> I just. Uh, it, 
these days I just look forward to Essendon having uh, Foxtel games because I can sit back and, you know, if you get lucky, you get Hutto and you get a decent call. Uh, I don't know. I don't see how Channel 7 can think these commentators are competent, but they live in a different world to us. So, yeah, that's my light of the weekend. Excellent. My highlight, of course, was uh, Carlton's winning over St Kilda, returning to the winning circle after some weeks uh, out of it. But um, yeah, no need to dwell on that at all. I am looking forward to... Oh, also, Dor uh, telling us that he'll be back next week when North have beaten Carlton on Friday night. Mm. We won't uh, see him until next year, in other words. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm expecting a last <laughs> second-half choke. And, um, you know... Or Sweet Left Foot might be making an appearance. Well, he has been back on the forums again today. So. Yeah. Oh, is that right? Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah. Oddly yeah. enough, liking uh, Dawes' posts. So, go figure. Is that, is, that, is that a form of self-abuse? I don't know. <laughs> I, I just thought that was hilarious. Hey, what? Was that interjection there, that, that female voice? Uh, is that the US government listening in on us by any chance? No, I think it's the voice recognition stuff on the PC here. But anyway, um, speak, we, I, think we, I think it is time we actually got a female voice on this program. Too many men around here. Well, Messenger started off promising uh, in promising fashion in his first podcast. So. I was nervous. In my yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you should have just followed through. Nobody would know the difference. Something uh, I have to work on. You well, could you could dress up every week. for our first segment and we're going to be talking about the Sydney Swans and uh, joining us for this discussion we have uh, SM and he's joined by Bonza Burgers and uh, we're going to ask them some weird and wonderful questions and hopefully get some insightful answers as to how the Swans are travelling. Guys, welcome aboard and I'll direct the first question to uh, USM. How are the Swans travelling this season? Uh, thanks for having me. Um, look, I think the Swans, all things considered, are travelling pretty well. Uh, when you take into account the, the shock loss to Port the other week and the draw with Frio, uh, you take those out of the equation and we're sitting equal on top of the ladder. Um, and considering the injuries we've had, I think that's a pretty pretty good spot to be in. Um, making up the top four at the moment with the best percentage in the league uh, heading into the last few rounds. Um, it's a pretty good spot to be in considering we've been without some of our pretty key defenders for most of the season and as most people would know the Swans rely pretty heavily on their defence to get through games um, so yeah pretty happy with, with how we've been travelling Ok guys questions, comments go nuts Just on the um, uh, you are just talking about players you had missing but I, I noted that um, you've had Sydney have had 13 players that have played every game this year, uh, which is, I believe, the most in the competition. Um, and they've only used 32 players, which is the second least in the competition. And there is some correlation to uh, teams that use less players having um, been more likely to be there at the pointy end of the season and having success. And Sydney have, have, 
had really good runs with the stability in their side. Um, uh, curiously, North Melbourne have used less players than any team that hasn't really run true for them. But, but um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, what what do you? What are your thoughts on the stability of the Swans and, and sort of year after year they just they, they just seem to not be bringing players in for the sake of it and they're not they, they don't make a lot of they don't make a lot of changes um, they just they just tend to keep uh, keep the same core group going as much as they possibly can. Well, uh, this year we actually have been the players that we've been missing have actually been key players to our lineup. I mean, we've been missing Lewis Roberts Thompson since the Geelong game, which has been crucial to both ends of the ground. But this has allowed us to give younger players several games in a row. For example, Rampy, who slotted in wonderfully in the back line, replacing Shaw. And as players, I feel play more games over this season and get more used to the structure. It actually helps the team. All right, um. I have a question on two players in particular, being um, Nick Malcheski and um, what's the other one's McVeigh Junior. Um, what's his name? I forgot it. Jared. Uh, Jared. That's it. I was thinking Jude Bolton for a second, but um, those two seem to be so vital for your team and the run that they get as well. Because against Essendon, they just tore us to shreds. Um, so, how much of your success can be attributed to their um, offensive abilities? Yeah, look, I think they've both been having fantastic seasons and I think it was um, Scott Pendlebury last season named uh, Jared McVeigh as his most accurate kick in the competition and you really notice that when you watch McVeigh's play. I mean, he hits up targets every time and he's a really valuable contributor to the, season, uh, to the team uh, over the course of the season. Um, and now Chesky, following a couple of knee operations, has really lifted back to the form he had where he was being considered uh, in All-Australian contention. Um, so I think the pair of them off the ho- half-back flank, in the absence of Marty Matna and Reece Shaw, has um, really helped us this season. And and as Bonds has already mentioned, I think the uh, lift with Dane Rampey coming into the team as well has really opened up that back line uh, for McVeigh and Malcheski to really show what they can do. And uh, I think that's really contributing to our success this season. Um, guys, I, I wanted, rather than talking about your senior team, I wanted to ask about your, your development. I mean, you, you've seemed to be able to to bring uh, young guys through, but you're playing in the in the in the hilariously named Nifl. Is that the, the name of the reserves competition? Yeah, yep. yep. that's correct. Now, that's probably stronger than just playing in the in the local Sydney comp. But, but is it strong enough, really, for the Swans' purposes? Given that there's only really the GWS and Gold Coast reserves and, and the Lions reserves playing in that competition. There are actually some strong teams through the NEFL. We do play some teams from the Northern Territory and they've actually done very well over the season. And some of the stronger teams around Canberra, like Quiggyburn and such, have actually got some strong lineups if they're not running through with too many injuries. I mean, some teams have actually done decent in the Foxtel Cup this year. Not brilliantly, but they yeah. haven't been completely blown out of the water either. Yeah, I think Queanbeyan turned up and uh, had 10 players missing from their senior lineup because they all had to work or they were sick or something. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was vaguely... But just on, that, um, on your development side, there was a player in particular I wanted to ask about, and that's uh, Tim Memory. Now, I have a bit of a vested interest in this because he's from the hometown. He went to my high school when I was there. Uh, so can you tell me a bit about how far off he is and how he has been going for Sydney making the transition from TAC Cup football? 
Uh, last week, he was actually our main emergency, and he was pull out, pulled out of the reserves in event of an injury. So he was in line to get have his debut. It's looking closer rather than further away at the moment. Um, for much of the season this year, he was injured for a six-week period. So that did affect his run of games. He got through the reserves. But yep. now he's back playing with the reserves. He kicked five goals two weeks running recently, and he's also been given a few runs on the wing, so he's doing well. I've got to say, too, I was so pleased to see Gary Rowan playing again on the weekend. I thought that was fantastic yeah, after, after he went through. It was, I was thrilled. He could, he's, he's going to be, he's going, he could be really good. He could be an amazing player. Yeah, it was mm. great to see, and um, I think... Uh, the one free kick he gave away in the game was for running too far, and I think as far as free kicks go, uh, if he's going to give away one, that's the one to give away. Yeah, the one where he can actually like stand on both his legs. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now we have to. Now we've been nice to you. We have to talk about Kohler now. And I'm, yeah. I, I, just um, just before you do that, though, I just want, I want to ask about uh, Mike Pike. Mm. Um, he, he's he's one of my favourite. Uh, well, he is my favourite Swans player just purely because of the journey he's travelled to get to uh, where he is at the moment. How, what's his impact like at Sydney? Oh, he's one of my favourite players as well. And I remember back in 2008 when he joined the club, being absolutely amazed when he lined up for his senior debut uh, on the year that he arrived at the club. And I think his story is somewhat forgotten a bit when they're compared to Carmichael Hunt and Israel Folau. Um, and that he's come from much further back than them in not even being in the country, not even being aware of AFL for much of his junior career. Um, and it's just been amazing that he's been able to take in so much information and learn so quickly and rise to the heights that he has, where he, I think he's quite comfortably our number one ruckman right now. Um, yeah. I think that's pretty impressive. What does that say for Shane Mumford at the moment? I mean, is is it is Mumford gone? Is, is he taken a backward step at all? Or is Pike, he's, he's just been been the same and Pike's just gone past him because I've seen it I've seen Sydney supporters sort of offer up Mumford for a potential trade say for you know GWS's number one pick and things like that so he seems to be a little bit out of favor with some supporters uh the issue is with Mumford is he's out of contract at the moment we wanted him to sign we wanted to sign him to a two to three year deal but he's actually asking for four so it's actually in a kind of a state of imbalance with the Swans at the moment. That and he's had a few injuries over the last few years and this is greatly affecting his momentum. When he had his best years at Sydney, he was playing majority of the games for the year and getting a bit of a run on. Okay. There, there might be quite a few Ruckman on offer at the end of the year at the rate people are going. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. One knock okay yeah. And Hopefully. just on that, I think I think Mumford's been a tad unlucky. I think some of the injuries he's suffered have been quite freak injuries. He um, had a bad reaction to a cortisone injection, and then he had uh, young Jared Petrenko uh, jump up into his cheekbone and fracture that, um, which caused him to sit out for a couple of weeks. Um, and I think just pure by, by that pure chance, uh, Pike's not so much um, Mumford taking the step back as Pike really just seizing that opportunity and taking it with both hands. All right, cool. Messenger. Okay. All right. Is it okay, Wookie? Now, for yeah, yes, yes, it sure. is. Are you sure. Yes, yes, it is. Okay. I don't want to. I don't want to get. I don't want to. Just you ask know, your go against question, you smart ass. No swearing. <laughs> on the, iTunes will cry. Yeah. <laughs> there's been a lot said about. There's been a lot said about uh, cost of living allowance uh, for the Swans. Now, my personal view is, uh, 
it's fine to look after the guys on rookie contracts and and first year draftees in an expensive city, but to uh, insulate people on five hundred thousand dollars a year against the uh, five dollar lattes and uh, vagaries of Sydney lifestyle just seems a nonsense to me. How how um, how have you see the cola and how would you well how would you defend the cola? Look, I don't think you're going to find much disagreement between um, rational Swans fans in that they completely agree that uh, the players on the bigger contracts um, don't necessarily need that sort of protection. Um, and I think personally, my view would be that a cola be applied to the league league-wide um, and that based on certain statistics, there'd be um, an allocation to each club based on the needs um, due to the expensiveness of that city. Um, so for instance, I know... Perth has recently been nominated as quite an expensive city to live in. So I think, um, rightly, West Coast and Fremantle should be given some sort of allowance too. Um, I think with Sydney, it needs to be remembered that this this allowance was brought in back in the early 90s, I believe, back when the Swans were really struggling to field a team of players who actually wanted to be in Sydney. Um, And you had a lot of players leaving Sydney at the end of their rookie contracts like Shannon Grant, uh, who went back to Melbourne. Um, So I think... The motivation behind the allowance um, was once a reasonable justification, but I think now that the Swans have established themselves, uh, it doesn't have the same relevance it once had. I guess the charge against it is that it's a it's really a, a retention and recruitment allowance, exactly. and that and that it's a a little bit of a kick on for people that they're trying to get through the door, and and I think in a situation and and obviously the Swans getting improving. And, and winning a flag has, has made uh, it's probably heightened uh, unfairly the um, the, cha- the, uh, the the sort of fervor against it. But uh, it's uh, certainly um, seems in Congress when you talk about say the cost of living allowance in Perth. But there seems to be this disagreement amongst people about what it's actually for. Is it really for cost of living? Or is it really a recruitment tool? And and I would have thought uh, an organisation like the Swans who have got uh, a good cultural base and have proven themselves to be a very well-run operation, shouldn't need extra money to recruit people. People would want to go, I would think, right now, to go to play for the Sydney Swans. I think, just before they answer, I think part of the problem, Messenger, is that they don't have the same uh, exposure opportunities that you'll get in Perth and in Adelaide if you're part of the clubs there. Well, look, and this is true, but some, for some, that, that's a that's an attraction, and and ultimately, you, when you're recruiting somebody into a club, it's not just how much money you're going to make; it's the whole package. Who's there? What's the organisation like to work for? It's like any employer. I mean, it's not always the highest bidder. It's it's all it's all the other factors in there that, that make a that make an, a place of employment attractive. How much of this is because Buddy's going to Sydney at the end of the year? All of it, all right? <laughs> <laughs> no. Not in no. Don't go, buddy. In regards, in regards to the Swans using the COLA as a recruiting allowance, um, it should be noted that the AFL actually pays the COLA themselves, which has caused a fair bit more controversy from the club side of things. I mean, especially when you've got clubs such as Melbourne and Brisbane who can't pay the club or can't pay the cap and... The Swans have got the AFL themselves paying an extra 9.8% on top of it. It does add some extra issues to the problem. 
But the main thing is with Sydney is they don't use it as a lump sum payment to recruit an extra player. It's actually given 10% or 9.8% to each individual player. How they recruited Tippett last year was by delisting players such as Moore and CB who were on a fair bit of money and moving players such as Goods, Ryan O'Keefe, McVeigh, Malchewski and Lewis Roberts-Thompson onto the veterans list. In fact, they're currently saving $672,000 through veterans list repayments. You have yeah. done some research for this, haven't you? A little, yes. You think it, you, you had a, an idea that this might be coming? I, I did forewarn them when I invited them on. Oh, I, I don't think there's any... The argument that Tippett was recruited with Cola money really stands up. I mean, clearly there was some cap savings, but... This, it, the general theme that everybody sort of gets it on top, no matter what they're making. I mean, it's one thing if you're on sixty five thousand dollars as a first year recruit. I think that's what they still make about sixty five rookie. Does that sound right? I think the rookies do. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the rookie, rookie, the rookies pie in price is thirty two or thirty seven thousand five hundred, and then they get bonuses on games played. Yep. My understanding is the Swans pay their rookies like their first round draft draftees, though. That's that was correct. Right. Yeah, so they actually, because, I mean, 37000 you could barely live in Ballarat, let alone live in Sydney on that. But that it's one thing there, but it's another, quite another when you're on four hundred, five hundred, six hundred thousand dollars $600,000 a year to be getting that extra money. And, it, and it, it, it doesn't really stack up as a cost of living. And I well, guess another question you've got to ask too is, um, because obviously um, the players know they're going to get that 9.8% extra. So... Who's to say that the players aren't getting lowballed on their offers by nine point eight percent, and then they equal, you know, they level out yeah, once that's added yeah. on? No, absolutely, if, yeah. But if you know it's there, you factored it in. I mean, you know that they'll be talking about offers that include the cola when they're negotiating contracts for sure. Exactly. They know, it's, they know it's tacked on. So exactly. Only, so yeah, while yeah. they might be, you know, negotiating like five hundred thousand each, they might, you know, drop that down to something like. 460 and then account for the um, cola allowance on that to equal the 500,000 that a Victorian player would get, just for instance. Yeah, the only thing I would say to that, though, is that as it's a loading on top of the actual contract, the players would have to be aware that if at any time the AFL actually removed the cola from Sydney, that their contracts would automatically reduce by that 9.8% as a result. Um, yeah. So that would obviously have to be factored in. Yep. Uh, in regard... In regards to Collar actually changing in the AFL, they're looking at bringing in the changes to the Collar in the 2014 or even 15 or 16 seasons due to existing contracts with the players at the moment, simply because you can't change a player's contract halfway through. But isn't Sam Reid contracted until 2017 or something like that? That's correct. That's uh, I believe that's actually a lot of the reason why they haven't announced the changes to the Collar yet, why they haven't rushed a decision. There's a lot of legal factors here. You would expect that the cola issue, though, would be factored into the contract by the AFL. Well, yeah, that's what I, that, that was my understanding, at least. Like, it would be grandfathered through, so anybody who's got a contract extends beyond that would have to be paid the cola until um, until their contract expires and they wouldn't be eligible for it in the next one. The a bit AFL, like the Chris Judd deal. Yeah, and the AFL removed... <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's, it's the most recent example of the AFL changing the rules. Like, yeah, going to kick and moan about it, but... At the end of the day, it's part of how the, the, the playing rules are made. And there was no outcry when Brisbane's rules were changed suddenly at the end of 2003. It was like, oh, shit, they won three premierships. We better take the cola off them. 
Um, when the Brisbane collar was actually changed at the end of 2003, there was a club vote, and that was the last time Sydney's collar was actually voted through successfully by the clubs. It is reviewed by the AFL every few years, but that's just for how much payment the Swans actually get. The clubs don't actually... They're not actually entitled to a vote on salary cap issues either, but that's an, that's another discussion for another day. Look, we need to move on. Um, and But just before we do that, I've got one question. You guys are in Sydney? SM's in Sydney, isn't he? Yes, I am, yeah. And I'm in Melbourne. Uh, so, so this question's more for SM than you, Bonza. Sorry, mate. Yep. But uh, what's it like being a, an AFL person in Sydney? Why? Well, I mean, as, as I speak, I'm sitting here with a beer in front of me and State of Origin on in the background, and I think that says it all, really. Um, the rugby league culture really dominates in Sydney. Um, and I think Chad Corns was on uh, on the couch the other night and said it pretty well, where he said that if Buddy came up to Sydney, well, you know, do it in a heartbeat because they need all the help they can get to get that awareness out west because out west of Sydney, it's all just rugby league. Um, I mean, I think uh, I think AFL is really dominating the Sydney market a bit more these days with the success from the Swans. Um, you'll see a lot more Sydney Swans fans around the place. Um, and I think what really highlighted that for me was back in 08, we played an elimination final against North Melbourne out at ANZ in torrential conditions, and we still had about 20,000 people turn up. And I think that was criticised by a lot of people, but as a Sydney sider, I think that really shows that we've got about 20,000 people in Sydney who are absolute, hardcore, dedicated Swans fans. And I think that's great to see. I think that shows up in your crowd figures. This will pain Messenger a little bit, but would, um, in your opinion, <sighs> will, will Buddy at GWS have the same effect that Lockett had at Sydney? Yes, definitely. Yes, yeah, I would say it would. Um, I think but Buddy's a big enough figure in the code that you would start to see a lot more people flock to GWS games just to watch him play. I mean, I, th- I think it does depend on how he plays in his first few games, um, but if he can kick a few bags of goals and Jeremy Cameron can come on and also kick a bag of goals, he'll have a pretty pretty stacked forward line in a couple of years that people would pay to watch and see. Excellent. Okay. Well, thanks, guys, for that. Um, much appreciated. of a brief discussion with Prosecutor about the, what's going on with Essendon. I'll just I'll give you a brief recap. Um, Essendon, uh, Jared Waitley on uh, AFL 360 last night alleged that um, Asada have actually told Essendon that the AOD 9604 uh, peptide thing is all okay. Uh, they were told that last year. Evidently, it was the advice, standard advice to anyone who asked in 2012, according to Waitley. Um, Demetrio was asked about it. He's absolutely non-committal on the whole thing, refusing to comment. Said that several times during uh, AFL 360. Will not comment on it until the uh, SADA investigation is completed. So, uh, and then uh, Carolyn Wilson this morning wrote a bit of an article on James Hurd, which is utterly refuted by the Essendon. Utterly, and I mean utterly and emphatically 
refuted by the Essendon Football Club this afternoon in what was something of a mammoth statement claiming that pretty much everything she wrote in that article was not factual. They literally wrote factually incorrect in the, uh, in the article, so basically told her she was lying. Um, Prosecutor, how are the developments at Essendon going at the moment in terms of the ASADA investigation? Well, I think um, the club's confidence has been justified somewhat by uh, Waitley's revelation the other night. It's definitely provided some vindication too for the Essendon supporters who have, you know, stuck firm with the club in the light of that confidence too. And I think James Hurd personally has been vindicated a bit too in why he's had so much confidence and why he's been waiting for the truth to come out. So I guess the main thing though to come out of it is that what, what are athletes meant to do if the lead um, authority on this, as in the lead enforcer in this country, can't get their facts right? How can you prosecute? How can you possibly prosecute against a um, player if you've told them it's all okay? Well, hang on. Asada have also come out and said at, at times during this that they have told no AFL club that it's been okay to use AOD. Okay, I think that's where they've. Um, I think that's clever wording on their part because what they've been saying is that at no time did they give um, yeah, permission for a club to use it. However, I think what they've been saying is when people have asked, they've said it's not prohibited, which I think you know is a clever sort of um, semantic difference there. Well, the, so, the, sorry, the Asada statement last night to Waitley uh, evidently said that it was not permitted under Section 2. It made no mention of the other sections, which is where Waitley's saying, well, it's... You know, they basically gave permission by not even mentioning uh, Section Zero. Yeah, they. I think they said, um, by the sounds of it, what they were saying is they said uh, strictly that it is not prohibited. And, I mean, I guess that goes through a broader issue, too, about players understanding the code as well. Because, I mean, you know, if the SADA can't tell them all this stuff, I mean... How are players expected to actually be able to tell all these substances and say, okay, well, this is prohibited because it's in clinical trial and all that sort of stuff? It's, it, I think um, someone, I can't remember who it was, it might have been RSC Tiger 74 on the main board, um, gave the example of how the ACCC, when they changed their consumer laws, gave out you know pamphlets to businesses and all that sort of stuff and explained the changes and all that sort of stuff. Whereas Asado is kind of like, you know, it's your own responsibility to find everything out and interpret it and all that sort of stuff. But um, so I think it's a massive balls up for Asada and I think it's going to have to be paved the way for changes in how the sporting, um, how the doping codes explained and how it's interpreted by people. So, but for Essendon, it's obviously good news, but it's obviously not the end of the um end of the investigation there's still the pharmacin beta to um worry about but you know we'll take every win we can get well the thymosin and if it is the the banned thymosin and there's two thymosins we should yep. point out one is prohibited and one is not but if it is the the thymosin that is banned which is thymosin beta four from memory that's yep. s2 so that's 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 if, bad yeah that is that's that's Diabolical. a showstopper isn't it that's a showstopper and, and and so really, they're not out of the woods yet. But, but I mean, on all of this, on this, whether you were advised and whether the advice was right or not, really, we're only talking about a loophole here, aren't we? We're really talking about Essendon sliding through the eye of a needle. We're not talking about saying that they they did something right. They've done something wrong 
in, in the strict sense and on a technicality, there's a possibility they could get off. No, and I do you feel like that. that's a vindication though? I mean, no, I disagree with the premise there. I think that, um, you know, if the authority says that it's not prohibited, then it's not prohibited. I don't think it's a technicality. I don't think that's, you know, putting um, the thread through the eye of the needle. I think that's just, you know, black and white that Assad is stuffed up. I think it's similar to, um, you know, sort of like judge-made law or court-made law where it's up to the the judges to decide, you know, the interpretation of the law. And in this case, Assad is stuffed up and they've interpreted it wrong. So I don't think that's a technicality. I think that the uh, evidence followed the best advice I can get. For for me, though, what, what the unknown is is who asked the question and what what form did the question take? That's obviously a vital part of it too. That's, that's until until I know that I, I can't rest with the assertion that Asada because this the statement from Asada clearly says that we advised that uh, it was banned under sec, it wasn't banned under section two. They make no and they said that no t- no stage would make mention of section zero. However, it depends who asked the question because if Dank asked the question on behalf of Essendon and not Reed then uh, Dank knew about Section Zero because he was advised from it by WADA. And that can't, you can't apply the ignorance clause there. Yeah, but still, I think if you ask Asada, is it prohibited? It depends on what Asada said, because WADA can say all they want, but if Asada's clearly just said outright, no, it's not prohibited, then Asada's the you know point of call if you want to inquire about these drugs. And if they've said it's not prohibited, I mean, who do you, where do you stop asking? Yeah, but if, if all he did was ask if it was banned under Section 2 in Australia and he didn't ask about Section 0, they would have told him it's not banned under Section 2. But if he's just asked that it's prohibited, that's, is it, you know, are we, but is it okay to use this drug? Asada haven't released any any uh, any transcripts and neither has Dank. And Dank's the key to it all as far as Essendon are concerned if, he, if he's the one who sought the approval. So, Didn't they say that um, there was a commission, um, AFL, um, a guy in the um, drug department or whatever they call it these days in the AFL who asked yeah, the AF, um, Asada about this? Yeah, but that was in March this year. Okay. Um, and it's the same with the, a, the ACCC, the ACCC, uh, not the ACCC, the ACCC who asked Drink. about it as well. And so, I mean, they were all told that it wasn't banned under Section 2. Not, yeah, uh, so um, no, no mention of section zero. Whether that's enough to get them off, I'm not entirely sure. And whether WADA take basically say, well, Sada stuffed up, but we're still going to proceed anyway, which they apparently can do under the WADA code. I think honestly, I think WADA might try it, as in they'll try it on. But you know, whether a court of law would agree with that, then or you know, the court of arbitration and sport, um, that's a different matter. And I think that's a weak case and. You know, I think they might just preserve whatever um, reputation of God out of that and just not bother about AOD and focus on the Fimerson, to be honest. Are they just looking at a, a he said, she said situation, though? Unless if Asada haven't put anything in writing and they're just relying on some uh, Asada staff member somewhere um, saying in a meeting that... Uh, uh, that it's not prohibited and other people apparently backing up that they've been told the same thing, <clears throat> you still lose. You still don't have that context. Um, really hard to recount a, convers- a phone conversation or an um, in-person conversation without that context. So it's still the code's still there in black and white. So yeah, unless Asada have made... Somebody in Asada has made the concession that, yeah, I probably 
use poor wording and I said that. Um, around and around we go, it seems. There's got to be a written trial somewhere. Yeah, look, I, I, just looking at uh, Herald Sun fired back uh, a little bit at Essendon's statement by the look of it. Um, and I just want to read something because I swear this is talking about Bigfooty on the Herald Sun website. Um, Essendon supporters have been bashed from pillar to post and desperate to defend their club are clinging to this revelation like the last lifeboat to leave the Titanic. Any other fervent fan would do the same. Same, But then it goes on, what about the other drugs? What about the allegation players were injected with thymus and beta-4? What about what Ziggy Swikowski described as a disturbing pharmacological experimental environment? Is this Why... a Sam Edmund article? Yeah, who is this? This is the... Um... Sam Edmund, yeah, yeah. That's I, a I didn't really read an article, to be honest. All it does is you know, it, it ask could have those been, questions. It, it could have been written by a, by a big footy poster, actually. But I, there's been more informative posts on big footy because that's that was enough in article. That's just that the Herald Sun, to be honest, have been having you know they're hedging their bets on this. They had the one article saying you know Essendon <gasps> appears to be in the clear, then the one article saying you know nah, nah, they might not be in the clear. I, 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 just, I think the, I think they're camped on the on the Asada board. I mean, <laughs> uh, I think they're just camped on Big Footy full stop. To be honest, yeah. I mean, if it's, if that's not coming from straight from Big Footy, I don't know what is. Chief asked us to have a look at uh, the number one draft pick and the success rate of them over the years. Um, oh. So I have actually done this, and uh, I would just like to uh, bring up a number of things for you. There have been 27 number one draft picks since 1986 when the draft was implemented. Uh, the first one was Martin Leslie. The latest one, of course, was Lockie Whitfield. Uh, of those number one draft picks, four have gone to... Oh, well. They have been four premiers, 16 All-Australians, one Norm Smith medalist, one Brownlow medalist, two rising stars, 13 club best and fairest, and four club-leading goal kickers. Um, so, yeah. Of those 13 BNFs, how many of those, how many different players is that? Well, that's where it gets interesting. Five of them belong to Nick Rewalt. Yeah, <laughs> and I think Luke Hodge might have two. Hot, uh, where are we? Hodge has two, Brett Deledio has two, Mark Murphy has one, Martin Leslie won two, uh, Drew Banfield won one, Gaspar won one as well. Um, Did Cooney Adam never Cooney won a best and fairest? Who? Adam Cooney yeah. didn't win a best and fairest. No, but he won a brown low. He's the only and what guy. about Brendan Goddard? No best and fairest. No club best and fairest. He was behind I think he, well, well, sec- pretty much he's got a second, year. third and fourth from memory. <laughs> yeah. Um, all Australians, most all Australians in that list. Uh, again, Nick Rewalt uh, with four, Luke Hodge with three, and uh, Goddard with two. Uh, most premierships in that list, Drew Banfield from the '92 two. draft with two. So, uh, but oddly enough, I went to I went to have a look at the number. Uh, <laughs> I went to have a look at the number, uh, and the worst draft pick, the worst number one draft pick, Richard Lounder, who played <laughs> zero game. Well, he played four games, the least of any of them. Um, and uh, returned to South Australia at the end of his first season. But uh, on average, the first draft pick plays 123 games uh, yeah. over the course of his career. So, Whether they should or not. 
with the with, with the most uh, <laughs> with the most of those games again uh, going to Jeff White. Yes, oddly enough, mm. with two hundred and sixty-eight. So there's a there's a few out there. Um, Drew Banfield played two sixty-five, not far behind. Darren Gaspar played two twenty-eight. Nick Rewalt's on two fifty-one. So for all the for all the uh, for all the crap we give Nick Rewald over the years, he has been outstanding as a number one draft pick and probably the pick of the bunch. Easily, I'd say. When, when you look at the stats, uh, Hodges in the close, last... but uh, the five club best and fairest, and they, also he won the Rising Star as well. So he's, uh, Yeah, the 2000 to 2004 period was a really good year for number one picks. A uh, really good um, period, really. Interesting stat as well. There is no player drafted in the top three from uh, two th- uh, before two thousand that is still playing. Um, in the in the top three draft picks, they're all they're all dumb. So longevity is not really the hallmark of a of a of a top three draft pick. Then yeah. again, um, the two thousands were the start of the real recruiting era, where clubs actually realised that it was an area that they actually had to invest. Um, yeah, invest in and actually put assets in. So I guess yes. we're starting to see the results of a more professional era too. On, on Absolutely, raw, yeah. On raw stats, if you want to win a flag, you want to be drafted at number two. Uh, ten premierships to people who have finished in the... Uh, who have, have been drafted second. Admittedly, oh, Scott Gumbledon, look out. Admittedly, uh, <laughs> Brad Ottens played in three of them, and so did Nigel Lappin. Um, yeah, 12 All-Australians for the number two draft pick. And uh, two rising stars, six club best and fairests, and four times club leading goal kickers. Three of those to Anthony Rocker. So, <laughs> hmm. yeah, if you want to win the individual awards for All Australian, you go in at number one. You want to win a premiership, you go in at number two. I get I get frustrated about the number one debate, um, especially in recent times with um, Bryce should, Gibson. Sorry, I, should, I should stress as well that includes the priority picks. Um, yes. The, Stuff and they put yeah. on average the number two draft pick plays 115 games, so slightly less. Mm. But you're more likely to retire on your own terms if you finish at number two than you are at number one. So there you go. You, you're frustrated mm. by the yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, the, just Bryce Gibbs and Matthew Cruiser have been copping a fair bit on the main board uh, for being failures at, as number one draft picks, and um, I just. I think people miss the point, you know, when they continue to judge people, judge players on their draft pick long after they've entered the system. Um, I, I think having that number one draft pick, it's about it's about a guarantee, or as close as a guarantee to a guarantee as you're going to get. Not that, not that you're going to pick the most exciting, most athletic, or the player with the most X factor, but you want to guarantee that you're going to pick a player that's most likely to make it as say a 200 game AFL player. Um, players like Cruiser and Gibbs uh, walk up best 22 for Carlton every week. Unlike Jack Watts, who has been up and down, in and out of his side, uh, those two players have never been dropped. Um, and it's not like we haven't had options. But, um, you know, they, they, they're simply better than our 22nd best player every single week. So you can't really ask for much more than that. Uh, I think it's a bit harsh when, they, when people go down that route. And I think oh, look, that argument goes back to the fact that the number one pick in general is just overrated. Not the player itself, but just the pick in general. And draft picks are overrated as well. Just you, you can't judge people on the pick they went. You've got to judge them of how they are in the system. Because, I mean, the number one pick, all that does is give you access to the player that best suits your needs and you don't have to worry about anyone else taking that player. 
Mm. It's not, you know, it's judges people on their junior forms. No guarantee going into um, AFL. Sure, but dra- drafting's about opportunity cost, and so and there's no greater there's no greater example of that than the first pick because your opportunity cost is the rest of the draft pick draft pool. So you're judged against every other, and it's just, it's no different to say if you're picking three. I mean, good example is uh, Hawthorne with Xavier Ellis picking him at three. And and we left Scott Pendlebury on the board, you know, and, and and there's whole lists of them. But at number one, you're judged against every other guy in that draft pool. Yeah, yeah. What I'm saying, I'm not saying the player that gets drafted those over eight. I'm saying that the pick in general and the weight that it holds. Yeah. As in, especially you just got to look at some of the trade scenarios that people make on the um on big footy and all that sort of stuff, and you get the sense that you know, people have far too much faith in a draft pick and what it's actually going to net them. Uh, you're talking about the GWS number one pick and how everyone's supposed to offer up two stars just to get to get an untried That's right. Uh, boy. Oh, not, yeah. not even that, though. I mean, just stuff like um, what people say, for instance, value Tom Bellchambers at and um, various other players of that sort of ilk where, you know, it's people say it's ludicrous that, you know, oh, t- Tom Bellchambers and... Tate Pierce might get GWS's pick 10. It's be like, well, the two, well, Bellchamps especially are proven players, yet these draft picks are purely speculative. So yeah. I guess the, that's a different debate, though. So, we'll, yeah, I'll move The interesting thing to be about draft picks, though, will be how they're valued in the future when free agency really takes hold. Because now it's been the only path to recruitment, so they do value picks highly because it's the only way to really get top quality players in. Mm. And and so in a few years' time, if people are still clinging onto their first-round picks with free agency, then they probably are overvaluing them. But right now, if, you, if anybody follows the NBA, they've just come out of a very weak draft, and the next draft coming up, the 2014 draft, is stacked. And there's about 10 teams in that league right now who are blowing their list up to sink to the bottom to get into that to the top end of that draft. And basketball is a little different because there's only five on the court. But so there, there is that. I think there's a bit of the, with Tom Boyd, there's a bit of, oh, God, we have to have him sort of factor. How, how do we get our hands on him? So, but free agency will change the dynamic, I think, of how draft picks are looked at. But they're cheap. Yeah. But it becomes with draft picks. It becomes that they're cheap as well. It's the it's the cost. How much is it? Is it on your cap? Oh. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, sorry. I just wanted to jump in as as a supporter of a club that really you know knows how to waste their first round picks with um, some of our selections lately. I do think draft picks are a little, little bit overrated, and and you definitely can find some gems later on in the draft. Um, you just have to look no further than Adam Goods and, and where he was drafted to know that. Yeah, you can find a player pretty much anywhere in the draft. Yeah. No, there's some um, very good picks higher up, uh, or, sorry, lower down. Time to move on to our final segment, guys, and thank you to the Sydney guys for being very patient through the last half of the discussion, <laughs> um, who haven't had much to say, really. But uh, what are you looking forward to on the weekend? So everyone go to the AFL website and have a look at the matches coming up like you normally do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, uh, Friday nights haven't been good to Carlton this year, and we do tend to struggle against the Roos and their ball movement from time to time with players like uh, Petrie and uh, uh, what's this, Thomas, um, you know, generally do fairly well against us. But it, it's, a, it's a must win game for us, uh, and the Roos have certainly had the blowtorch applied to them this week. So um, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, and I have my fingers crossed. 
How, how far behind can you be at three quarter time and still win? <laughs> Ten goals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Messenger, what are you looking forward to on the weekend, mate? This is a particularly dismal round of football, particularly on the Saturday, but I think the game of the round uh, is at the MCG on Sunday, Richmond and Fremantle. Uh, this is this is uh, whites of the eyes time for the Tigers. They need to prove that they're, they're serious this year. Okay, and uh, uh, who else is it? Prosecutor. I'm looking forward to the um, Carlton-North Melbourne game too, purely for the fact that one of them's going to lose. Hopefully it's Carlton, but... You know, I, I wouldn't be against another North Melbourne choke. <laughs> at least, at, at least uh, Watson won't have to worry about booing too much against GWS. No, there won't be even a cheer. There'll just be silence. Not at Skoda. <laughs> silence will be golden. Or there'll just be flares and um, Vuva Swalers or whatever they were <laughs> with the um, free entry for the soccer patrons. <laughs> SM, what are you looking forward to on the weekend, mate? Origin, apparently. Bonza Burgers, you there, mate? Yeah, I'm here. What are you looking forward to on the weekend? I'm actually looking forward to Sunday. The Richmond-Fremantle game at the MCG should be an absolute cracker, I reckon. Yeah. Hopefully Richmond can get up and give Sydney's chances of a top four a bit of a boost. And the West Coast-Sydney match should be a lot closer than a few people are tipping as well. Yeah, it could be. Paul Roos Cup. Paul Roos <laughs> Cup, yeah, I like it. <laughs> Yeah, I've got to agree on that one. I reckon um, West Coast Sydney looks like it'll be a cracker just due to the um, the old rivalry, which I think is still bubbling along under the surface there. But um, you, I'll, I'm all, sorry, you'll stuff them. You'll stuff them. Oh, we'll, we'll say they've got a few good ins, um, and we've got a few more outs. So Ed McGlynn is a um, big loss now. Actually, yeah, McGlynn will actually be pretty pretty bad for us. I reckon. Oh, not Benny McGabe. Sure, sure yeah, unfortunately. You sure the travel won't be too much for you? Those, yeah. those, those three-hour flights, man, they, they must be a killer. We've they got would a pretty be, good record be. over in Perth. Man, I hate people that use travel as an excuse. We might We've have to a... see if the AFL can move the stadium 9.8% closer to us. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally fair. Yeah. All right, guys. I'm also... Oh, sorry. Sorry? I'm, 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 also look, I'm also looking forward to the, um, the Melbourne-Brisbane game, actually, funnily enough. Um, I reckon Whoa. that one might be a bit closer than, like than people think. In Darwin? Yeah. I reckon, I reckon Melbourne might show. give them a... Oh, I reckon Melbourne could give them a run for the money um, and could really turn their season around and, and get a bit of credibility back. I would sooner dig my liver out with a teaspoon than watch that football game. That, that be, <laughs> yeah, that will be an appalling game of footy to watch, I think. Yeah, quality's I'll, not going to be high. I might watch out for the result rather than watch the actual match, but we'll see. No one rating Gold Coast and Collingwood? No. No. Let's have no. Metric on. Uh, yeah. There are well, chance. Adelaide, Geelong. At Amy. Nah, no danger. Geelong. No. Yeah. By a mile. <laughs> All right. Any final comments you guys want to make before I wrap it up? No? No. no. All righty then. Uh, thanks you very much to the Sydney guys for coming on board. It's been a pleasure. Um, thanks for having us. SM Thank you. and Bonzerburgers, you've done credit to your club, uh, which can't have been easy in the face of the fierce cola questioning levelled at you by Messenger. ODN, thank you for coming on board again, mate. A pleasure as always. Messenger, thanks. Uh, it's been a great pleasure. Get well soon, Nelson Mandela. <laughs> Prosecutor, He's thanks not for dead. Uh, coming on and updating us on the Essendon situation. <laughs> Was that? Oh, yep, yeah, thanks. No, yep. Yeah. <laughs>
Cool. Thank you very much for all coming on. We'll see you all on the forums. Go, Nelson. <laughs>